0: Alright, alright, alright. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's that time. It's finally come. It's episode 11 of Not What You've Heard. Took me forever to get to this point. Forever. But honestly, I'm kind of glad I waited because so much has been popping off with the Biden administration. So much popped off with the election. Kind of glad I waited. On a personal note, uh, your boy moved. Uh, my family and I moved to another house. Um, we got a whole bunch of good personal stuff going on. So it's just been an absolute whirlwind in my world over the past few months. So my apologies for making you wait this long. Um, literally every day, a new person was DMing me. Um, what's been really cool is I, I've gotten a lot of DMs from people who I don't even know that have found me through this podcast, and they are now DMing me, asking me when, you know, we're going to get episode 11. So it's here. Okay, it's here. It's here. Um, We're talking about two things in particular that we're going to unpack. Number one, how did we get here? Who voted for Joe Biden? And what are the implications of that changing uh, electorate, that voter base? And the second thing that we're going to unpack is what happens now? What are going to be the impacts of the Joe Biden administration, and where is the Republican Party going? So we're going to start by unpacking how we got here. And this is a long story. This could be an entire episode by itself. But back in 2016, when Donald Trump won the presidential election, election night was was obviously hilarious if you were a conservative. We all knew the state-run media machine and CNN, MSNBC, all that trash... We all knew they were gaslighting their own voter base by underestimating Trump. We saw how stupid even Fox News looked projecting a Hillary Clinton victory before the election. Uh, We were the ones in the streets. We actually knew who was voting and for whom they were voting for. In the other side, 2016's Democratic voter base, which was a blend of Antifa sympathizers and like some rich white people drinking wine and popping Xanax from their million-dollar lofts in the Bay Area of San Francisco and New York City, they weren't in the streets with us. They didn't see the stampede coming because they were too focused on the propaganda, eyes glazing over as they stared at CNN on their TV like a fly watching a bug lamp. They were clueless. And it showed in all their reactions. That's what made election night so hilarious in 2016. Afterward, the media machine was pretty upset, and justifiably so. They hoodwinked their own base. They played themselves. And they they, they didn't realize what they were doing. They stepped down from their ivory towers. They were disgusted to see us. The peasants. Peasants parading around as we finally had our guy. So they got on their knees and they screamed and they cried Donald out. Donald J. Trump is now president of the United States... For what the a great honor address. to be able to introduce for the first time ever anywhere the 45th president of the United States of America. They were pleading with their media gods, asking why. Why could you do this to us? We made an offering to you, media god, and you've forsaken us. One of the high-ranking propagandists to CNN, a former Obama official, uh, Van Jones, you may be familiar with him, he went as far as to say that the 2016 election was a whitelash saying it was angry post-Obama era white people that elected Donald Trump. It's true, but it was also something else. We've talked about race. I mean, we've talked about everything but race tonight. We've talked about income, we've talked about class, we've talked about region. We haven't talked about race. This was a white lash. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president in part. Fast forward to 2020, we didn't really get the same reaction from Van Jones. Sure, his guy won. So maybe it didn't really incentivize or justify that type of reaction from Van Jones. But in terms of how we got here, it was with an electorate that would surprise you. When I walk you through this data, you're going to be mystified at how Joe Biden could have won despite this changing electorate. You're going to ask yourself, how could someone win despite data that's clearly not working in their favor? I'll explain to you how, and it was with a strategy that I thought would fail. Nonetheless, let's start with the data that describes how this electorate, this 2020 voter base, voter demographic, let's talk about how it has changed. Now, I'm going to cite CNN's exit poll data here so leftists can't argue with me. Take that up with your media, God. This is their data. The white vote, the white lash in 2016... In 2016, white people made up 71% of the electorate. Hillary won 37%. Trump won 57%. In 2020, white people made up 67% of the electorate. Despite that, despite the electorate being 4% less white, Biden gained four points amongst the white vote. He won 41% of the white vote. Trump won 58% of the white vote. In 2016, the black vote made up just 12% of the electorate. Hillary won 89%, Trump won 8%. In 2020, the black vote made up 13% of the electorate. Biden won 87%, he lost 2 points, Trump won 12%. He gained 4 points. The Latino vote in 2016 made up 11% of the electorate. Hillary won 66%, Trump won 28%. In 2020, the Latino vote made up 13% of the electorate. Biden won 65%, Trump won 32%. He gained four points amongst the Latino vote. The Asian vote. In 2016, the Asian vote made up 4% of the electorate. Hillary won 65%, Trump won 27%. In 2020, the Asian vote made up 4% of the electorate, Biden won 61%, Trump won 34%, Trump gaining 7 points amongst the Asian vote. An interesting trend considering what the media is trying to sell us about Asians and conservatism and the violence that Asians are currently facing, predominantly from left-wing people. In summary, from 2016 to 2020, Trump gained 4 points with the black vote, he gained 4 points with the latino vote, he gained 7 points with the asian vote. The only demographic Biden didn't lose ground in compared to Hillary. The only demographic which Biden actually gained ground, white people. He gained 4 points amongst white people. See this is what I'm talking about. Where is Van Jones calling this election a white lash? Quite literally white people broke from minorities. In 2020, we saw race riots all over this country, and despite that, white people on CNN and MSNBC telling us how disproportionately minorities were targeted by violence from white people, minorities showed up at the polls in numbers for Republicans like the GOP has never seen before. Again, where is Van Jones calling this election a whitelash? This actually fits his criteria. You know how we got here? This strategy? I told someone this the other day. The woke white moms in California and New York losing their minds on Twitter with their anonymous accounts watching Don Lemon spew lies about Russian interference in our election and completely turning a blind eye to the story of Don Lemon touching his genitals and then rubbing another man's face at a bar. That is who elected Joe Biden. I'll take it one step further than Van Jones. This election was a woke white lash. This strategy for Democrats was simple. They knew they were losing ground with the minority vote. They knew that the black community was becoming increasingly red pilled as they made more money than they ever have before in a red hot economy under Trump. Their strategy was to turn out as much of the woke white vote as they could in California and New York, so much so that it would overwhelm and be greater than any gains Trump would make amongst minority communities. And that's exactly what happened. And that's the only way to read this data. It's super simple. You leverage the pandemic to push mail-in voting. You make sure the woke states like California, New York, and Illinois are leading the way in mail-in voting in their metro areas. And then you hedge against that strategy not working by ratcheting up racial tension. Just in case we don't turn out enough woke white votes. Just in case we can't overwhelm the Republicans' gains with minorities. Let's start some race wars in different parts of the country. Just in case. Where Democrats got lucky in the mail-in voting strategy um, is that it worked, despite the racial tension steering minorities even further away from Democrats. Their hedge backfired on them, but it didn't matter because they turned out so many woke white votes. You see, what happened was... Democrats turned out so many woke white votes in hard blue states that it overwhelmed and dwarfed whatever gains Trump made with minority voters. It, it, it doesn't matter if Trump made an average of a five point gain amongst our three most prevalent minority communities from 2016 to 2020, because whatever number of votes that is, let's say five million votes, for example, that number is less than the number of additional woke white votes Democrats turned out with mail-in voting. Let's say Trump makes a five-point gain amongst minorities, and that's equivalent to an extra five million votes for him. Well, all Democrats have to do is make, let's say, a one-point gain amongst the woke white voters, since there's like five times the amount of woke white votes than there are minority votes, and Democrats, Democrats win. That could be an extra seven million votes for all we know. I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure what the what the actual ratio is off the top of my head. I'm just using an example, but that was effectively their strategy. They overwhelmed the gains Trump made among minority communities with the woke white vote. That was the strategy. Turn out as many woke white votes as you can from woke areas like California and New York with mail-in voting and you'll win. You know what? This is another thing, too, that's really interesting. It's, it's evident in the vote margin, too. So Biden won 81.2 million votes, allegedly. Trump only allegedly won 74.2 million votes. That's a delta of 7 million votes. In New York City, there's 5.57 million registered voters. In Los Angeles, there's 6.1 million registered voters. That's a combined 11.67 million registered voters. And all all Biden had to do was win 59% of those 11.6 million voters, which that's a super low number for him, for a Democrat to perform in an area like that. And there's your 7 million vote lead over Trump. You see, Biden's entire margin is in Los Angeles and New York City alone. He turned out the woke white people in those metro areas like Democrats haven't done before. And how do they do something they've never done before? They did something they've never done before. (laughs) They pushed mail-in voting on just the most ridiculous scale we've ever seen. Despite Biden somehow being as unpopular amongst Democrats as Hillary was, mail-in voting basically forced them to vote. You shove a ballot in front of the faces of these woke white people and remind them that Orange Man is bad, they'll vote. That's exactly what they did. And I don't really care which one of them are listening to this and, and might be offended by that. I really don't care. <laughs> like I'm I'm done with this game. I'm done with this game. The good news here for conservatives is that what's coming in twenty twenty two in the midterms appears to be something even last-second rule changes of 2020 the Democrats pushed can't stop. I've said this before, and it's, it's that Democrats are staring down the barrel of a populist revolt. They are screwed, and I would not want to be a Democrat running for re-election in the 2022 midterms in any state other than California and New York. Even, I mean, those two states aren't even safe when you see how many House seats Republicans flipped. Republicans were supposed to lose like 25 seats in the 2020 election, and they end up picking up, not even losing one seat, but picking up 12 seats. The majority party notoriously loses quite a few House seats in midterms, and if Republicans overperformed like that in 2020, that means in 2022, when data tells us they'll usually pick up a few House seats, that tells us that 2022 is going to be an absolute bloodbath for Democrats. I was really tempted to throw my own hat in the ring because it's gonna be so easy to win a seat. I, I might wait till twenty twenty four when it's a bit more of a challenge. Make some more waves, but man, if if you're if you're new to politics, twenty twenty two is the year to run. I'll tell you what, it's gonna be easy to beat a Democrat. All right. So that's it for the first half. Hopefully that gives you a good idea of how the heck we got here and what the data is telling us. It's pretty clear that what Democrats did as they realized through their own internal polling that minorities were breaking for Trump across the board, across the three most prevalent minority communities at an average of five points, which is, I mean, that's brutal for Democrats. What they realized they had to do was turn out more of the woke white vote. And they did that with mail-in voting. Again, they shoved ballots in front of their face. They said, don't forget orange man is bad. Vote blue. (laughs) And it worked. Um, But we're going to take a quick break right here. And when we return, we'll talk through what happens now. What happens now that we're here? Now we have the Biden administration. What can we anticipate? What's on the horizon? Stick around. We'll be right back. In the first half, I give you the data and what's really the only analysis of that data of how we got here. Some people might try to spin that data, but it's pretty clear, right? Like, Trump makes gains amongst every minority demographic. Uh, Democrats just turned out so many white votes that it dwarfed Trump's gains amongst minority communities. Never in a million years did I imagine Trump could win 45% of Miami and lose the presidential election. It, it just it doesn't make any sense, and that's why we're so intently focused on election integrity. Anyway, in this half, we're going to talk about what happens now. And if you follow me on social media, you know I've been pretty clear as to what I think is going to happen from a policy perspective, but for those that don't follow me or might not know exactly what I'm talking about when I when I say those things on social media, let me share my take with you in this half. If I could buy, if I could boil down the Biden administration into two pretty basic buckets, and I'm I'm doing this I'm coming to these conclusions knowing full well that Kamala Harris you know there's a high likelihood that she takes over in two years I just think she's going to carry the torch. But again, if if I could boil down the Biden administration into two buckets, two pretty basic simple uh, principles, it'd be this: corporatism and war corporatism and war in terms of corporatism. I've said this before, but the Bush, the Bush years are back, baby. Like this is the Bush administration all over again. George W. Bush, by all measures was more of a corporatist Democrat, the Hillary Clinton type, the Joe Biden type, the Barack Obama type. He's in line with that. Bush had been in the swamp for a while. His own dad was the ringleader of the swamp himself. (laughs) in the late 80s, early 90s. you know, he, he served in the military, hung around lobbyists forever. Heck, some of those lobbyists might have even been his babysitter when he was a kid, talking about George W. Bush, for all we know. I mean, George W. Bush is as swamp creature-ish as a swamp creature can get. Joe Biden is the same dude. He's no different. This may come as shock to those who haven't been in and around the swamp, but... Joe Biden has kind of a successful used car salesman or kind of like gambling bookie type of reputation in D.C. No one really ever took him seriously, at least not, not in an intellectual sense. But they worked to appease him because he was so well connected. Joe was always the guy who had a guy. Joe always knew a guy. Joe knows where the money is and how to get it. Joe was a guy that's been sold out to corporate America his whole life. Not even corporate America, corporate China, too. Corporate Ukraine. I guarantee you Joe Biden has all sorts of credit card transactions that Hunter Biden pays off with his money from China. (laughs) My folks, my friends listening that are in politics, you know what I'm talking about. That's how Joe gets his money from China. Artwork, credit card transactions that Hunter pays off. I know how the game works. But back to the corporate America thing, I'll give you an example of how just how sold out to corporate America Joe Biden has been. One example is forming your LLC in Delaware, where Joe Biden was a senator. It is so, so lucrative and a no-brainer for anybody that intends to raise money from investors to form your LLC in Delaware. There's no tax on intangible income, like trademark royalties, which occurs a lot within newer companies that have heavy investment. There's no sale tax on in-state transactions. Delaware's LLC laws provide more liability protection for business owners than really any state in the country, next to Wyoming, where you can file an LLC anonymously. And also in Delaware, you can form S-Corps, where you're basically not even paying taxes, which Joe Biden has done himself, forming an S-Corp. Joe Biden and Jill Biden formed an S-Corp to avoid paying as much as $500,000 in levies for Medicare and uh, Obamacare. Go ahead and look into it yourself for the doubters. Celtic Capri Corp. And Gia Copa Corp. This is all Joe Biden policy. This is literally all Joe Biden policy. I've raised money for startups. I've been around the block with investors. One of the first questions they ask almost every single time is, where is your LLC formed? What they want to know is if you have a Delaware LLC. This is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is one of the slimiest, nastiest, corporatist swamp creatures we have ever seen. These are the types of guys that we don't even consider to be party-affiliated. Like, yeah, he's a Democrat, but the party affiliation for Joe is just a means to an end. He wants to make money. He wants to raise lobbying dollars. It was easiest to run as a Democrat as opposed to running as a Republican in Delaware. In effect, Joe isn't really a Democrat. He's just a swamp creature. Just, just just as just as George W Bush was. No different. Same dude. Just as Obama, just as Hillary. They're all the same people. They're not really Democrats nor Republicans. And that's why the establishment media gets behind these people every time. They were behind George W Bush. They were behind Barack Obama. They were behind Hillary Clinton. They were behind Joe Biden. And it's why they won't get behind guys like Bernie Sanders. It's not even a Democrat versus Republican thing. It's a corporatism thing. The media will never, ever get behind a guy like Bernie Sanders because he is a threat to their pocketbooks. Now, what does this mean for America? Well, it means the rich get richer so long as they play ball. You see, there there's a lot of money in the woke game right now. Because it's captivated the hearts, minds, and most importantly, the wallets of white people in metro areas. Like, you know how much money there is in this solar stuff right now? You know how much money there is in, like, renewable energy right now? I mean, you you could start a nonprofit, profit for example. Like, BLM is a great example. You're never going to see their 990s. You're never going to see how much their executives make. But you start a nonprofit like that and you start raising money. I mean, some of these CEOs of these nonprofits are making like five, $6 million a year. So, you know, not only have Democrats captured the pocketbooks and wallets of woke white people in metro areas, but they have fear on their side now, too. Every CEO, every institutional investor or banker, they're all petrified at the thought of being canceled. <laughs> they're terrified. It all started with Occupy Wall Street, it morphed into the hashtag MeToo movement, and now all of that rage is being channeled through BLM. I don't see any legitimacy in these movements whatsoever, and it's too bad because they're, they're focused on real problems in America. Like, Occupy Wall Street was focused on corporatist greed. Me Too was focused on rape culture. BLM was focused on racial and socioeconomic disparities. Like, all these things are real issues in America. The problem is, corporatist Democrats sink their fangs into them and hijack these movements when they spot momentum. It's disgusting. Now, on to the topic of war. Not only will the rich get richer, but a Biden administration also means we're going to war. A lot of average folks don't know this, but Beau Biden who was Joe's son, the only reason he was in the military was to run for Senate. He was actually preparing for a run just before he tragically died of brain cancer, which is awful. I couldn't imagine losing my son like that, and I'm not here to poke at Joe about that. That's terrible. But Bo was set to take the reins from Joe, similarly, similarly to how George W. Bush took the reins over the family name in the swamp from his father. Now, The Bush case is interesting. Jeb Bush is just such a mess. Jeb Bush is George W. Bush's dad. Jeb Bush is just such a mess and such a pathetic politician that his dad had to pick George W. Jeb Bush is the weakest person on the stage by far. Jeb is a waste, and everybody knows it. He is so weak, it's laughable. Jeb is a mess. (laughs) Dude, one of the funniest clips. But look... Joe Biden had Beau Biden all lined up. The Bidens and the Bushes are the same family. They do the same stuff. One thing they have in common is war, hence George W.'s military background and Beau's military background before Beau unfortunately passed. But back to Joe Biden, how his plan and and the Bushes' plan and the plan of so many others works is like this. You get into the military, right? You work your way up the ranks. You're the kid of a senator or a representative in the House or maybe an AG, something like that. You're, you're, you're now a made man in the military because of the position your mom or dad serve in, right? Nobody's going to mess with you because your higher-ups will come down hard on anyone that screws around with you. That's because your mom or dad has strings to pull in the military being a senator or whatever the heck it is they do in this hypothetical case. So eventually you do your four years, eight years, whatever your term is. If you're lucky, you avoid combat. My friends in the military listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then when you're done, you've got some really strong military connections to some people who can actually make stuff happen in the military that you can now work yourself instead of leaning on your dad. You know, this is basically a family business. So at this point, after you've done your four, eight years, whatever it is, you come out of these, you, you come out of the military with these juicy military connections and you've got three routes to go, really. So with route one, You can go to Raytheon or some other weapons manufacturer and be their lobbyist. You can lobby on their behalf, working your military connections to sell more weapons to the government, which is even easier when you have legislative connections through your mom or dad on the government side. I'm sorry, on the legislation side in Congress. And then you have military connections from your own experience, and you can marry the two and lobby on behalf of a weapons manufacturer, like the example I cited is Raytheon. Route two, you can go work for a think tank doing policy research. (laughs) It's not really policy research. This is propaganda. But, you know, you can talk trash about Syria or whatever random Middle Eastern country your donors think would be fun to vaporize. The weapons manufacturers will fund your policy research through super discreet political action committees or individuals, you know, that work for the manufacturers. And that way, you know, you're, you're helping them sell more bombs by inspiring wars with your policy research. It's pathetic. Route three you just straight up run for office. This is where the real money and power is because you are the government connection you need and you have the military connections yourself. You don't need a middleman. You don't need a think tank or a job at a weapons manufacturer anymore. You can raise lobbying dollars, pocket speaking fees through S-Corps and avoid taxation like Joe Biden did. You can talk your colleagues into starting a war because you're the military industrial complex's guy now. You're one of their guys in Congress now. See, Bo Biden, much like, much like George W., he was going to go the politics route. He was going to go cash in right away. George W. did the same thing. He ran, got elected, worked his way up, eventually ran for president, and won. And once he got there, he did his thing, used some fake weapons of mass destruction, intel pushed by the New York Times to get us into a war in Iraq. He hung a, he, he hung a foreign adversary on national TV, and the rest is history. Now, Joe doesn't have Bo to do that for him anymore. And Hunter is a degenerate. So he has to do it himself. I said in January that we were going to be boots on the ground in Syria, working to topple the Assad regime, and not even a month later, Joe was mobilizing troops there. And just a few weeks after that, we bombed them. Now, we didn't bomb them directly. We just bombed Iranian-backed Syrian forces after Iran messed with us to make it look like we were really just retaliating against Iran when we all know Joe had direct orders from the military-industrial complex to vaporize a few Syrians in his first hundred days. This is, how work. this is how the swamp works, people. <laughs> this is how it works. So, unfortunately, the rich are getting richer, and we're going to go to war. See, this is why we all love Donald Trump. He didn't have lobbyists to appease like this. He got rich largely with the help of his dad. But he got rich separate and completely isolated from the swamp. He wasn't moved by the swamp. He wasn't influenced by the swamp. Now, towards the tail end of the presidency, he was because he surrounded himself with with, with bad people. But he didn't need the swamp to be rich like Joe Biden and George W. Bush do. Especially Barack Obama. You want to talk about cashing in. Jeez. Jeez. In fact, Trump was one of the guys paying the swamp. To make stuff happen. So that business transactions were easier for him. Trump was on the other side. He knew how the game worked. And he ran. On a promise to his base. That he was going to throw a nuke in it. In the game. Pun fully intended. Trump wasn't waging war on some third world nation. That can't catch a break. Trump was waging war on the swamp. And woke white people hated it. The swamp. Hear me when I say this. Hear me. If there's one thing that I want you to understand. Whoever is listening to this, if there's one thing that I want you to take away, it's this. Hear me. The swamp is their God. They make sacrifices to the swamp. They've formed their identity and all that the swamp preaches. Their altar is Planned Parenthood. Their tithe bucket is BLM and their youth pastor is AOC. They all attend the Church of the Swamp and Trump was their anti-swamp. Trump was an affront to their identity in the swamp. That is who we voted for in Trump. There are plenty of things I would have advised Trump to do differently. One of them being to surround himself with more of his faithful supporters than he did. Was not a big fan of Jared Kushner. But the point remains, Trump was the antithesis to everything that is George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden. In 2022, Republicans will flip the House. They might even flip the Senate. But it's that make-America-great-again energy, now in the form of America first, that is the antithesis to this current administration. It'll be a tough 17 or 18 months or whatever it is until the next election, until the midterms. But this will be a time for minority communities to go deeper into the populist agenda and see the light at the end of the tunnel as they did in 2020. I believe that's where we'll find true unity and populism in the American first agenda that's it for episode 11 of Now You Heard. I told you I was bringing the heat. I told you I was going to pop off, and I kind of feel like I did. Not all the way, but I feel like I did. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and hit your boy with a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Corey underscore Milliken, No E and Corey. And on Instagram at Corey Milliken. Thank you for listening. My DMs are always open. Stay safe and keep fighting the good fight.